Hey listeners, I'm Amaya. And I'm Lee. And you're listening to Fem South. Mother and child, come with me. Sisters young and old, now we see. Let's all come together. Amaya and I are here with several of the women that were at the Handmaid's Resistance protest for the Roy Moore rally that got national attention. Um, I have Meta McCall, who is uh, originally from Denmark, but has been in the United States for almost 20 years. She spent 12 years in California and has been here in the Deep South for four years. So uh, she's made quite a transition culturally. And we also have Liza Davidson, who has lived here her whole life. So she can speak very much to what it's like to be born and raised in the South. And then we have Han Hua, who is a realtor and political consultant, who was also raised in Mobile, who went away to college, and then has recently come back in the last few years and is readjusting to the culture so the Roy Moore rally that everyone here was protesting was actually the second rally. The first rally was mm, maybe a few months beforehand, but it included the same lineup, I believe, which was Roy Moore, Steve Bannon, Nigel Farage, and Phil Robertson. And I actually went to the first rally hoping, I went there hoping, thinking that there would be protest at that time. And I think that a lot of women were trying to organize a protest and a protest, and had really wanted to, but everybody sort of backed out at the end. And I went with a sign that I didn't even pull out of my car. I kind of left it in my car waiting to see if I would see other people. And when I got there, I didn't see anybody, so I just stayed and watched it as an observer and actually filmed some of it as an observer. So... Um, the second rally is when everybody really, I think, maybe had been motivated even more by um, the sexual allegations against Roy Moore, and so it created much more of an uproar, and we had a, an actual resistance, or an actual protest, which was in the form of the Handmaid's Resistance. So you ladies went to that, and I know, Meta, you were involved in, in, your, in organizing a particular protest. Can you maybe speak about, you and Liza speak about, you know, why you joined the resistance and, and what it meant to you at the time? Uh, sure. Um, and thanks for thanks for having me today. Yes, you're welcome. I'm really excited to be here. Um, yeah, so I, I joined the Handmaid's Resistance protest at the Roy Moore rally because I just sort of felt with every fiber of my body that I had to protest his candidacy. Everything that he epitomized was so wrong on so many levels that I felt I had to go out physically and stand there with a sign and let my voice be heard. And having a background in PR, I also knew that it would be a very powerful platform for us to speak up at because literally the world press would be there. 
And when we came out there, I think there were about 30 or 40 different vans with satellite dishes on the roof of the vans there broadcasting. So we could not have found a better place to let our voices be heard than being there on that night. Uh, and uh, I was very, um, um, very happy with the outcome and the, and the covers that we got. I really felt that we were able to steal a lot of the thunder away from Roy Moore that when you look at the coverage of the event afterwards, there were as much of the handmade resistance in that coverage. There was as much of our red capes and, and white bonnets in there as you saw him on stage. So I felt that was a very uplifting uh, experience to, uh, to, be, to be part of that and, and speak up. And we were, we were making signs that said, um, we want a, a senator, not a predator. And those signs were shown in everything from The Guardian to The New Yorker to Huffington Post to the local TV stations. So I really felt that that message resonated far and wide. So that was a, that was a very interesting, a very, very good experience. Yeah, and Liza, what did you think? Um, hi, thank you for having me as well. I'm Liza. I have lived in South Alabama my entire life. And I am honestly not really into politics. I don't pay a lot of attention, but I remember there was so much energy and so much controversy surrounding everything that was going on with the Roy Moore election that it was literally impossible to ignore it. It was impossible to stay completely ignorant about what was going on. And I remember that slowly, especially the people around me, my family and friends have always been Republicans or at the very least like very conservative libertarians. So most of them were falling down on his side. And I was really hearing Roy Moore's narrative, honestly, more than the Doug Jones narrative. And the thing that kept resounding to me over and over again was oh yeah, this guy might be a pro predator, probably is a predator, but that doesn't matter because we need an, a Republican on the Senate. You know, he's our Republican candidate. We have, to, we have to go with what we have. And I just remember, I mean, I thought that was all I could think about for days and I thought about it and I prayed about it. And no matter how I thought about it, that sounded so wrong. It's awful, it's evil. I don't understand how that became a narrative that people could stand behind with real conviction in their heart. And it was just so horrifying to me that I, I thought that we had to do anything to have our voices heard. We cannot let this thought process become the precedent that we use to decide who is governing us. You know, we cannot let people just do away with the rights and feelings of half of the population and and dismiss it because, oh, we need a Republican in office because of the the party that this guy happens to be with. Can either one of you in your own words describe what the allegations were, how they came about, and really at the time, how the public responded to that? The one that really sticks out in my mind, the one I think there was the most evidence for at the time, is the story about Lee Korfman, who was 
she 14 years old at the time 14 years old at the time I'm not sure how they were affiliated she was picked up uh, outside he picked her up outside the courthouse he was at the courthouse her mom um, was uh, in a custody case with her and uh, he came up to them and said to her mother you just leave her with me while you go inside and I'll take good care of her and that's how they got acquainted and then he asked for her phone number and this is a 14 year old girl and he was in his I believe early 30s at the time 32 32 yeah and then he came and picked her up later um and took her out and drove her around and took her home to his place and tried to rape her I mean he was in his whitey tidies and then she finally convinced him to let her go and he drove her home but there was there was no uh, question of where that was going and this was a 14 year old girl I have a 13 year old girl right now and I'm just kind of thinking and then there were all of these evangelical Christians that came out with these outrageous things saying well I was 15 (laughs) when I got married and back then there was nothing wrong with that 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 is the part that really drove me crazy those evangelical evangelical Christians who came out and said that Jesus, that the Virgin Mary was a young teenager married to an adult man, that Jesus, our Christ and Savior, was going to be how they how they justified this 32-year-old district attorney being a predator this way. I mean, they were they were taking the Bible and using it to justify pedophilia. And this is the man who is going to be in charge of us in the Senate. I mean. Yeah, and that quote actually came from Jim Siegler, who was a state mm-hmm. auditor at the time. And I think he needs to read up on Immaculate Conception a little yes. bit. Because yes. Yes. He, he said that, look at, yeah, look at Mary and Joseph, and they became parents of baby Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and the good news, though, is that there is a black woman running for his seat now, come okay. midterms. Miranda Joseph is running for his seat. So Everyone I couldn't be happier. Time. So that is poetic justice, justice if there is one. That's yeah. great news. And that is a crazy acceptance of pedophilia, this idea that at one point that it was acceptable. I mean, yes, women did get married when they were much younger, and they were expected to have children at a much younger age. But that wasn't the time period that Roy Moore was living in. <laughs> I mean, Roy, he's not that old, you know? And that's, that always surprised me and shocked me that they would go there. And what I think is also interesting, and I'm going to bring up the second season of Handmaid's Tale. I don't know how many of you guys have watched it. But the wonderful new twist in there is that they have child brides. And now they, um, Nick, who is you know the, the one that impregnates Alfred and who's the, um, the driver, Nick, has been promoted and given a wife, and she's 15. And she's expected to have sex with him on their marry, their wedding night and produce a baby. So, I mean, of course, we're bringing this back to The Handmaid's Tale because that's the sort of underlying thing that we're talking about. But, um, yeah, so it's that same mentality that women, it's okay to uh, date or marry a young girl because at one point in our history, that was what we did. Well, it's still going on in some parts of the world. And it does. It still goes on in some parts. You're right, Amaya, it does. <laughs> but... That is a bad excuse for Roy Moore because I I don't think that that was the norm. That's so horrific. I really, I really liked 
too, one of his representatives tried to um, cited the fact that his wife was much younger than him as an attempt to normalize it. Like, oh, well, his wife now is, I think, what is she, 12, 16 years younger than him? So that just, and to me, that seems like further evidence of his guilt. I don't, I don't understand <laughs> how, yeah. how that was their attempt to justify his actions. Honestly, I'm, I mean, I'm 28 years old, and if someone more than 10 years older than me hits on me, I want to be able to call the police. I feel like I've been victimized. I just, I understand that it's very common in this era for older men and younger women to date, but I think it's gross, and I don't think that it should be as culturally acceptable to the extreme that it is, that I feel it is right now. And Maybe I'm that's an unpopular. And I think also, I mean, even before all, before these nine different allegations of sexual misconduct came out, he his view on women even even before then was just so so awful. He um, he co-authored a book back in 2011 uh, about how women really shouldn't be allowed to hold any public office. Right. In 2011, he co-authored a book, and then he tried to backpedal and say, "Oh, he was just kind of the co-author." And he was he, he he didn't really say that directly, but he was has it a been a book or a class. I think it, I thought it was a class. Well, it was a curriculum. A curriculum that yes. was then also printed. So it, it was a book as well. You can get it on Amazon, and in he, he he is in it. He's not the one who's directly saying that, but he's part of the authors that are all behind this kind of patriarchal, very backwards, demeaning way of looking at women and their role in society. He's been, he's been front and center in, in, in that movement for ever, really. So was that part of what you were protesting as well? Was that pretty well known? Uh, yes. I think it become, I, I think it's sort of avalanche. I mean, when, when I, I, I was actually secretly hoping he would win the primary so he would, so he would run against Doug Jones because I thought that he was a candidate to beat much more than Luther Strange, um, the uh, Roy Moore's primary um, opponent at the time. So I was actually excited when Roy Moore won sort of a backwards way because I thought this is a candidate to beat. If we can't beat Roy Moore, then we are in a very sorry place here in, in our state. Um, and, and, and I had looked into him quite a bit, and I, the more I read about him, the more more you know awful and apprehensive it just it just um i just came of became of his of his candidacy and um just the way that he always you know think that he has god on his side and the whole evangelical thing again i think it really rubbed me wrong and you can never no matter what you say it's like well, well but he has god on his side and i don't even know what that means coming from coming from a country like Denmark where religion doesn't play any role in politics, I'm constantly dumbfounded by. How does that even play into anything? How can you even use that as an, as an, as an argument? And I don't understand that. And I was also very, very upset about the way that all of the misinformation that they spread about abortion. Mm. With, 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 they came down so hard on Doug Jones for him being pro-choice. They kept saying he is for uh, abortion on demand. He is for you know women aborting babies until three days before they're born. I mean, terrible, terrible, awful things like that. I was like, no, he is not. I mean, how, that, 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 and that's not even called abortion. That's called <laughs> birth. I mean, who would even, I mean, just listen to yourself. And I mean, just vilifying a person for being 
pro-choice in those kind of so untruthful ways that was so calculating. Uh, I think that was really what rubbed me wrong from, from the very beginning of his candidacy. I agree with all that. I would, I personally want to take it back a little bit to what you were saying about how he always had God on his side, and that's exactly the way to put it, because I did grow up in the church. I grew up Methodist, and I was practicing, and it, that's how he really thought about it. He thought God was on his side, and nobody else's. He, he did not think of, he excluded so many other people. He alienated other races. He alienated women, and all of this with apparently God on his side, looking down, smiling down on him. So what I was really confused about were all the other Christians that fell in behind him. I did not understand people who had had the same religious education that I had who were lining up behind him believing him. It, I, I could not wrap my mind around it, and it was horrifying to see that, that it was on, an honest toxicity in our society that I did not know was there. I think you're right that the word toxic here is, is, is very accurately put. And I think all of the propaganda and all the misinformation going around, and I spent countless hours in Facebook groups trying to debate with these people that say abortion on demand and then all of those terrible things. And he said it himself. I'm like, no, no, he didn't. <laughs> we're talking about Doug Jones. And I just think that they were so brainwashed and they kept saying guilty, uh, uh, innocent until proven guilty. And they, they just really thought that it was a left-wing propaganda um, trying to take down a man of God. That's really what we were up against. Um, and when we were out at the protest, uh, there were many people yelling at us that drove by and were saying baby killers. I mean, that was really, abortion was really the main um, I think bone of contention in all of this. That that's I mean, standing out there having women yell out of their car window with baby killer. I'm like, I, I that is just a, so upsetting and, and and wrong on every single level because nobody wants an abortion. And I think Doug Jones and his candidacy was trying to with with his politics would do so much more to uh get away with it uh, or um decrease abortion rates with his policies of, you know, more sexual education, more access to contraception, more, um, more access for women to, uh, to adequate health care than Roy Moore ever would. But trying to explain such a nuanced aspect to these people is a lost cause. Yeah, it's always a paradox when it comes to the abortion issue and the support of the woman and the prevention of pregnancy with a lot of these Christian groups. But I want to go back to that rally in this insistence that Roy Moore was a godly man. I went, when I went to the first rally, I actually, I don't know if you guys actually got in because I know a lot of the protests was happening outside and a lot of people weren't able to get in. But when I went to the first one, I was able to get in and listen. And it was religious propaganda from the very beginning into the very end. And Steve Bannon even said to him, said, uh, you should get down on your knees and thank God for Donald Trump. And I think when he introduced, <laughs> I think those were exact, I, I don't want to say that's an, an exact direct quote from Steve Bannon, but I'm sure you can YouTube it and find it. But it was something to that effect, and I, I, he did say, get down on your knees. And he also said Roy Moore was a godly man and kept on using that. And every single speaker that came out reinforced their religious 
beliefs in some way. And especially um, the guy from uh, Phil Robertson at the end who had his big Bible that he held. And there was this uh, simultaneous message of anti-immigration, anti-homosexuals, deplora- not deplorables. I mean, Steve Bannon uses that word as something to rally everyone together that they, they should be proud of being deplorables. But Phil Robertson kept saying that we were uh, a culture of degradation and that we were morally, um, what's the word, morally degraded. And that was his message to everybody. And then, of course, he had this oversized Bible. It wasn't even a normal, small, regular-sized Bible. It was so big. And at one point, he even tried to open it and, like, look through it, but obviously he wasn't going to. But he kept, like, holding it up as this sort of symbol as he was talking. And, again, like, the message was clear. Every single speaker that got up used religion as the weapon or the tool to rally those people that were there that were supporting him. And it was scary. I kept thinking the whole time I was there, like, this is really scary, you know, that people are being brainwashed and manipulated this way. It wasn't, I will say, it, to me at least, it was not as obvious at the time as it is in retrospect what a cult mentality he was really encouraging in his followers. Because he was, I remember too, that he was actively encouraging people to disregard certain news stations and certain articles. I mean, he was implying that you were sinful if you really even considered these other points of view. He did a good job of isolating the people who were determined to support him. And I think I was... um... Going, going to the rally, I think actually my biggest fear was actually getting shot at. I think that was um, because there were, um, before there was so much hype leading up to the rally and there was so much talk about, well, all of our Rymorphola, they carry, they all pack, they all carry. And I was actually literally, actually really afraid of being out there as sitting ducks, you know, trying, you know, being, being afraid of getting somebody taking aim at us. That was actually a very... Weirdly enough, that was a legitimate fear of mine. Well, you know, they rallied a gun or raffled a gun. Mm-hmm. That was the raffle award was yeah, a gun. Yeah, AR-15. That's when I left for the first rally is when they actually raffled a gun and some woman in the audience won a gun and then she went up on stage and received it from Roy Moore. Wow. I was like, oh my God. And then I left. <laughs> I should have stick, stuck around, but I stuck around for a while. I, I heard all the speakers, but that's a legitimate concern that they are packing i know a lot of people express that same fear that they might get shot did you feel like that liza were you scared i wasn't scared at all but the energy was definitely there i my i think my fear turned to sheer aggression i was waiting for someone to pick a fight with me i do remember i got really excited when we were standing when the protest was going strong and we were standing in the line and at one point this black suv stopped right in front of us after it was this this young girl, she had to be a teenager, all she did was just slam her hand on the windshield as it kind of drove slowly past. And I guess that was the last straw for this guy because he stopped the SUV and got out of the car and started screaming at us and started reaching for the girl. And I remember my adrenaline went straight up because she was only like 10 feet away from me. And I was like going straight towards them. And then the police were there and they, they shoved him back in his car. But yeah, the, the energy for things to go wrong was definitely in the air. 
But I also think they were trying their best to sort of keep us away from the main um, from the main venue. We were standing out by the road away from all the protesters so they only saw us like when they were driving up they were um and we weren't allowed inside the venue so they were trying to really keep us at a safe distance but it was it was very nice to the way that the media found us anyway and, and came down oh, and yes. covered us so i, yes. I thought because at first I, I was very discouraged to see that it was like oh we're just getting shoved down here and, and nobody will be able to really see or, or hear us but that was not the case I mean that was that we were the first thing that people saw when they when they came in and I think it was so powerful that people that came in to the to the to the rally they saw you know all the handmaids standing there being surrounded by press that were listening to their story mm-hmm. I thought that was a, I thought that was a great sort of welcome to that <laughs> do you think more. That, yeah, yeah do you think that 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 a lot of the population knew what the handmaids were all about no, or what no. that symbol really kind of meant no i don't think they knew it at all actually and there were, there were even like some people that people that disdainful said no people in alabama those rednecks they don't have cable they don't watch hulu they have no idea what this is people call us little red riding hoods um they didn't know what it was but i think they even though people didn't I think the the handmaids, like the whole dystopian society and the symbolism was probably lost on at least a lot of the Roy Moore people had no idea what it was, but they knew enough. I mean, they saw our signs and they saw, and I think it was very obvious that what we were trying to do was trying to be, um, you know, an, an ironic take on Roy Moore's look at women, just like the way we were dressed. I mean, there was no doubt that our appearance was a protest against Roy Moore's view on women. I think that that came across very clearly. Yes, and you had the tape across the mouth too. Or many women had the tapes of the victims across their mouth, which I thought was an an, an amazing extra added symbol. I thought the relative obscurity really worked to our advantage because I mean we did get the attention from the press and from Roy Moore who didn't know what was going on. But I thought it also encouraged a lot of people to come out that may not necessarily have come out because it not only did it really illuminate, like you said, that dystopian view of what was going on, but it also made it a little bit fun, like it made it a little more accessible for people who weren't necessarily hardcore political intellectuals to still feel like they could find a voice and that their opinion was important. How many handmaids were there? Maybe. Mm, yeah, probably. And, and and not everybody um, was was dressed in 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 the handmaid's outfit. Not everybody was wearing the red capes and the white bonnets. My mother in law was there with her <laughs> with her friend from the from the silver sneakers workout class up at the Y, and they were both there, you know. And they're uh, yeah, they're obviously my, you know the next generation up, and they were as outraged about Roy Moore as we were. And it was just so refreshing to see. I think it really stretched across generations. I mean, I think there was an easily like three generations of, of women Absolutely. out there. That's good news because I feel like, especially here in the South, there can be a, somewhat a divide between generations here. So it's good news to see an older generation coming out and supporting that cause. I think it's interesting that and I, I might I might keep coming back to this because I, I went to the first one and there wasn't any protesters. There were no protesters and there were hardly any. There was maybe one news media there. But and I think when they came out of that, there was the general perception that Roy Moore represented 
the political views of people in Alabama after that first rally. And I don't know what happened. Maybe it is just the sexual allegations that came out against Roy Moore that maybe made people more aware of Roy Moore, but he certainly has never been a positive figure. And he's done a lot of really controversial things, one of them being uh, resisting the federal uh, mandate to issue same-sex marriage license here in Alabama. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Why is it, though, I wonder that nobody really came out for that first rally before the sexual allegations, but after the sexual allegations, there was so much resistance when he's also, you know, supports, you know, racist um has ties with racist groups and things like that and has spoken out against homosexuals and has spoken so poorly against women in general. Like, well, And then, of course, you know, the whole Ten Commandments things that he refused to pull down in, in, the, in the court. So wh- I just wonder, I guess, where's my question going? I'm just wondering why did it take the sexual allegations for so many people in Fairhope in our area to come out and speak out against Roy Moore? Do you have an answer? I think it was really the fact that he was preying on a 14-year-old girl. I think that was the last straw for so many people. That that was like, we cannot, maybe he, maybe he's a racist, a bigot, chauvinist, but he's not a pedophile. And I think that accusation of pedophilia, I think that is really what sort of broke the camel's back. I think that is when so many, and also I think a lot of people felt all of these things before, but I think... This really legitimized coming out in the open publicly. You can talk, you can tell your neighbor, you know, that you are against Roy Moore now. You might not be able to tell that before. But I actually had one of the neighbors in uh, in Fairhope, right next, right up up the street from us. He had a Roy Moore sign in his uh, right outside his house. After the allegations, he took it down. So that was wow. interesting to see. So, and I think that really sort of symbolizes a lot of the things that were going on. All of a sudden even though he had been the, an awful candidate for all of these things you just mentioned before. But when that, when those stories broke and, and there were just more and more and more of them and they all corroborated each other and they all were so, so scarily similar in the way that he approached the women and the way that he, um, that he came across. And I'm like the district attorney and no one is ever going to believe you if you come out against me. Like the way he abused his power and with all of these women, and he all, always preyed on very, very weak women. He preyed on single moms that came to court. Uh, he preyed on, 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 young, on young girls. Those were the kind of women he preyed upon. So that whole similarity and all of these accusations that just kept coming out of the woodwork, I, I really think that that is what finally made people say enough is enough. And of course, it should have been enough <laughs> years and years before that. But I think that is what finally made it okay. To be, to be against him. And can we talk a moment about how it is so difficult to speak out against Republican candidates here in our area or even to speak out in, and let everyone know that we are either Democratic or just uh, maybe more progressive-minded? Because when Trump was running, there were Trump signs all over the place, but there were hardly any Hillary signs. But after this protest, all of a sudden we started seeing Doug Jones signs everywhere. Suddenly it became okay not only to speak out against a Republican candidate, but to even now say we're Democratic. Because for so long, I mean, I felt like I, did, I was 
worried to tell coworkers or to speak openly, you know, with coworkers because I never knew what somebody's political views were. I always just assumed it was right wing conservative Christian because so many people here are that way. So can we talk about that? I think it was very encouraging to see. We actually had a GOP for Jones uh, yard signs that came out, and I thought that was awesome. CNN even did a piece on all the GOP for Jones signs popping up in Fairhope. They came right here to Fairhope and did a piece on that, and I thought that was fabulous. And I knew that it scared the heck out of the Republican Party here, and we were gleefully watching that. We thought that was very funny. I was actually helping the Democratic Party uh, deliver the signs, uh, all over, all over the county, I, dr- I drove around and and put up signs. Oh, good for you! Uh, and um, I actually put it out on uh, on this Facebook group called "What's Happening in Fairhope," which is a very dark place in many ways because it just brings out the worst in people on the in, in this Facebook group. People are really nasty in this group, and and I think I come from a little bit of a different perspective because I haven't grown up here. And I work from, you know, I work from home. My, my, my work is not rooted in this community. So I can say and feel and express whatever I want because I do not have to, you know, take coworkers into account of, of, of conservative family members or anything like that. I, people can't pigeonhole me. I come from a completely different planet in so many ways. So it's almost always almost expected that I would say and do as I do. So I, I think I didn't have, I never kind of felt like I couldn't speak up. I mean, I, wa- I proudly wore my Doug Jones shirt to the rec center's uh, workout class and stood and did jumping jacks right in front of the guy in his Trump shirt and really enjoyed doing that, especially the day after we won. I wore it smilingly and stood in front of him and, you know, did my little, you know, <laughs> exercises and smiled. And he's, he smiled back, though. That was, that was kind of nice. But So I, I've never really had a problem with it, though. I certainly did notice moving out here from California, there was a lot of things that I didn't pick up on at first, like because of many things I rooted in church that I didn't understand because I didn't come from a community where church was the framework for many people's lives. I would walk into, you know, when Dixie on Sundays and I'll go, why are people dressed so nicely? Like I didn't, I was like, oh, they come from church. Like, wow. I mean, it just, I I was just not used to that kind of culture. Why do they have a, we arrived here the day after Easter and everybody had a, like an Ash Wednesday, not Easter, like, yeah. After Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras, yeah, thank you. See, <laughs> see how, how, how my frame of reference is off. Um, that's like, wow, people, people have, you know, Ash Wednesday crosses in their forehead. It's just interesting, like coming from a culture that is so different that, that you, you wouldn't see that in California. Yes, when you meet new people, they say, hi, how are you? What church do you go to? Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was not, yeah, I didn't really know what to say. Uh, I would usually just say, well, I was baptized in the Danish People's Church, which is true. It's, it's, a, yeah, it's a Lutheran church. But, yeah, I was baptized there, not really a practicing, you know, religious person. But um, I was just so surprised at how everything has just been so framed framed by the church. But I had never really been afraid of speaking up against it. And I kind of enjoy sometimes actually having that discourse with people. And I think it's interesting because coming from the San Francisco Bay Area, every Buddy that I knew there, all of my friends were progressive. Sometimes it's kind of like preaching to the choir. And of course, sometimes that can be very uplifting, but sometimes it, it, it can also be a little bit boring. But here it's never boring. It, it's interesting <laughs> it's <exciting>. because <laughs> you, it, it, and, and I, I know this might sound slightly contrived, but you kind of feel like you, you can make more of a difference here. Uh, you I know, definitely think the Democrats, that's true. You know, being a part of getting those yard signs out, being a part of this protest, being a part of a rally in this part of the country, where we are a, albeit growing minority, 
but still a minority, is so much more interesting in many ways than being in San Francisco, politically speaking. So I'm really interested in, um, you know, this larger movement that's happening. And yes, politics is important, but really the Handmaid's Tale, the Handmaid's Resistance, speaks to the more of the Me Too movement that's happening across the nation and across the world. So what do you guys know about the Me Too movement? And in the Handmaid's Resistance, in this protest, was that a big part of what you were protesting? Did you feel like you had this larger movement behind you, the Me Too movement? I do feel like we definitely capitalized on the energy from the Me Too movement. I don't think, I mean, I know we talked about a minute ago that it was really the preying on children, which is what brought everyone together behind or what brought everyone together against Roy Moore, because I do think like children in danger cuts across all races and genders and creeds. But without the energy, I think the energy of the Me Too movement, once once a revolutionary force did sort of establish itself, I think that is what kind of rocketed it forward and what has kept it going so strong because... Like, well, I really think that um, the Me Too movement um, had, a, had a, played a big role in the women coming forward against Roy Moore. I mean, Lee Korfman, the, uh, the then 14-year-old, um, uh, directly said that it's just a new day. It's a new environment. It's an environment now where women are speaking up. So I very much doubt that we would have had these allegations uh, against Roy Moore out in the open had it not been for the Me Too movement. Absolutely. And, you know, Lee, you were asking about why people weren't up in arms about some of Roy Moore's other, you know, political stances. Well, it's because we're in the era of the Me Too movement. And that's really what we're fighting against. Right. And the allegations. And it wasn't just children. These are young women. We're specifically talking about women. We're not talking about little boys. Okay. We're talking about the allegations were about young women mm -hmm. right so when you say children that that's very it's, it's unclear mm -hmm. right because it wasn't just it wasn't that, sorry that does make sense I think of children as being under 16 or 18 my niece is 12 and I think of her as a child but you're right it was young women it wasn't boys and girls right and I think this whole um you know the the the, the discussion about the, uh, the church and the patriarchy in the church and the, and the evangelical Christians and how accepted it was um, uh, for this to, uh, to be going on in, in, in that kind of subculture within the evangelical Christians uh, really came out in the open and it really spurred so many other women to come out and talk about what had happened in their church um, and how they have um, gone to seek um, advice with the pastor after uh, after abuse and, and and rape and how they were just told to just hush it up and to just pray for it and just forgive their assailant because, yeah, there was not really, not, not really any good reason for why they should do that other than women should just not speak up about such things. They, they should just be kept quiet. And, and I think that is starting to come out in the open more and more now. And I think that is so encouraging to see. We just recently had the... Um, the incident with Paige Patterson in, 
in, uh, in Texas with the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, who, is now, who now stepped down as a president after it became apparent that he, he had, uh, he had uh, said to rape victims that they should just go home and pray for their husbands. And again, I don't think that this would have come out in the open. These women would not have felt empowered to stand up like Lee Corfman did, had it not been for the, for the Me Too movement. So I think the Me Too movement is really the undercurrent that sort of really makes all of this sort of float up to the surface now. Yes, and I think it's giving women uh, more courage and more unified support for when they do speak up. And interestingly... I was doing some research on where the case stands now with Roy Moore because he slipped out of news, really, and um, he's suing the women who have raised allegations against him. And Breitbart News wrote an article that I read of trying to discredit Lee and her story, which I think is, you know, horrible. You know, but also it raises this question. It puts doubt into people's minds who would otherwise support Roy Moore about whether or not the allegations are true or whether or not the allegations are being used as a political tool. And I think that's kind of a part of like when Amaya and I talked about The Handmaid's Tale, we, we brought up the Me Too movement. We also talked about the Me Too backlash and whether or not it was going too far and those kinds of things because you know, these allegations, of course, can ruin somebody's career. But, and so I think that's part of what is maybe why some of these women were supporting Roy Moore. I think on the one hand, of course, women are divided. We also talked about this division with abortion. Women are divided very much so on abortion. So they will vote for anyone who supports making abortion illegal, the right-wing Republican women, the Christian women, a lot of the Christian women. And I think 60% of, of white women in Alabama still voted for Roy Moore. So 60%. Is it because they just don't believe these allegations? Or is it because they don't care? And then are we to believe women? When I mean, so then uh, is that a part of this sort of backlash with the Me Too movement? Now we have all these women making allegations. Do we believe them all? Do we stand behind them in solidarity? Like what... I don't, I don't know exactly where my question's going. But well, and I, I think th- it's I think still gray. I think a lot of the women that ended up voting for Roy Moore did it at just as, as Liza said, said with her family members, said he was a Republican. Uh, you gotta, uh, you gotta just, um, just uh, support the candidate that your party has chosen, no matter what. Like, like our female governor Kay, Kay Ivey did. That that was her stand. Well, he's my party's, uh, party's candidate, candidate, and I'm a soldier, and I stand behind that till death do me part <laughs> and I think um I, I think that's just and, and I really also think that people were irked by the Washington Post coming in with these allegations this this this, this left-wing Washington paper that comes down here to the south and tells us what we what we should feel and vote so I think there was a lot of southern sort of you know the south versus the yankees kind of in in and the too. press yeah yes. with the press like really trying to vilify the press and yes. like it was just a propaganda smear campaign i i do agree um i absolutely agree with all of that but i just want to make note of the fact and a- ask what you think of the fact that our other senator i think it was shelby did tell people during the election um, conservatives, it is okay to stay home tonight. We do not need this man in Washington. Even our other Republican senator 
refused to sign off on this man and somehow people I mean I I like to hope and pray I know you were talking a minute ago about the 60% of white women who did vote for Roy Moore I like to hope and pray that they just did not believe their sisters and really thought they were doing the right thing but I I agree I think that they just thought it was so important to have another Republican in office somehow even despite the fact that their other Republican senator thought it was a bad idea and I think a lot of them also stayed home. I mean, I, I think that is really what ended up happening. I think a lot ended up listening to Shelby and either stayed home or voted, or had a, a writing candidate or voted for Doug Jones. Quite a few also did that. And I think that combined with the Democrats, you know, mobilizing 38% more people to come out and vote w- was also a determining factor. I think it comes back to indoctrination, right? Actually, I was just in Washington, D.C. last week, and Asian Americans are one of the fastest growing group that's moving to the South. So I went to a lot of progressive summit and conferences, and I'm like, you know, I've seen my parents being indoctrinated here to a conservative agenda, even though they benefited from progressive agenda. So it, the next thing we need to figure out is how do we get in touch with these Asian Americans that are moving that aren't usually registered voters and engage with them. And, you know, basically saying progressive uh, values are basically humanist value. We're all just wanting basic quality of life. And I think we're not very good at expressing that as a message, um, as a progressive group in general. Yeah, that's a good point. And you said you were also in the um, voting booth or when that was happening. Did you have any oh. sort of idea uh, what the votes were looking like as they were coming in? Uh, uh, do you have a breakdown of like the how many female women voters? So I don't have that breakdown for um, Baldwin County, I guess I could do the um, data extrapolation, but um, during the night of December 12th, Meta and a bunch of other people were at CERTA at the watch party, and I was asked to go watch the ba- um, absentee ballots being counted. Um, it was me and another lawyer, and then I was kicked out because apparently you can only have one at a time, but I had a good feeling because when I was seeing the ballots, just looked more and more, a lot more for um, Doug than it did for Roy. But, you know, you never know with these things. And um, when someone was telling me that Daphne Civic Center turned blue by 100 votes, I was just like, I mean, if Daphne turned blue in Baldwin County by 100 votes, then he has a really good chance. I mean, I think we just did the most unexpected, unbelievable things and shocked the world. But we also brought such hope and inspiration people still tell me about it when I was in DC they were like thank you you know for doing that uh because you know we really needed that hope that glimmer just like good guys could win and that you know that we're not all (laughs) crazy (laughs) or you know we're we're looking out for each other I guess and that it was such a you know long year since November 2016 and with so many different election happening and not not anyone that that is the quality of who Doug is as a person. I mean, he's a moderate. Uh, so, you know, sorry to per- super liberal and super progressive people, but that's who he is. But he's always going to vote with his principle, not necessarily progressive principle, but his principle. And I think having Doug win just made, I think, the whole world, you know, have hope. That's a good point. I think so. I think a lot of the world was hanging on this vote for Alabama because it was kind of like the last straw of God. If Roy, somebody like Roy Moore can get elected following Trump, 
then we really have no hope, right? I think it was really like, um, you know, human decency won in this uh, in this case. And as you said, yeah, had had he um, had he gone had Roy Moore gone on to win the election, I just don't know if I could have kept living in this state uh, and look my neighbors in the eyes and, and and know that they helped contribute to to his win. I think that would have been very very difficult. But instead, the opposite happened. I felt so uplifted and so proud of being here and so proud of being a part of this movement that really, as Han said, shocked the world. I mean, I had people from Denmark call me, like from around the world, who had been following this so closely. A senator is in Alabama. No one has ever followed a senator is in Alabama before. So that was so exciting. And I really think the repercussions from this is seeing what is happening now with so many women running. I think that is really sort of what came next. And I think what's also really encouraging to see is that uh, 98% of black women voted for Doug Jones. And there are so many black women running for office now that have, like as never before. And it's like a groundswell here in Alabama. And I just think that is so excited to watch that that was all created in this momentum uh, with a Doug Jones win. go back sorry to answer your original question of why did women still vote for Roy Moore is a they probably didn't believe them b it's probably voting for R and c it's uh, indoctrination and patriarchy it's like um, I think I was telling someone it's like being in a cave and not realizing you're just looking at the dark and there's the light in the back or whatever's in the back like you're just you don't even realize it until you turn around and go outside I absolutely agree with that. That's a good way to put it because I grew up, everyone I knew was always Republican, conservative, and I didn't really even experience any different points of view until like junior, senior year of high school and after I got out into, got out into college. And I remember coming back to my family and friends and, you know, the restaurant I had worked for years and trying to talk about these new ideas I had learned that I was so excited about. And I think I really had kind of the best case scenario experience for a lot of baby progressives in Alabama in that I was just flat out ignored. Like people just did not give me as soon as the conversation changed to, you know, my feelings on abortion or homosexuality or whatever the buzz topic was, the conversation was changed or shut down. So to see that we've come this far in 10 years that now a Democrat is on the Senate of Alabama is just really unbelievable. The fact that we were able to crawl out of that cave just a little bit is mind-blowing to me. Yeah, I also like the the uh, metaphor of being in a cave because I grew up here too, and and it wasn't until I left here that I I always felt different from everybody here. I always struggled with a lot of the ideology here and the racism and the sexism and everything, and but I left really early and I tried to run away from it all, and um and then I got exposed to you know other ideas and I think that's interesting when I talk to a lot of my friends who haven't left, they aren't exposed to those ideas and they're still sort of stuck in that cave and I think so many people here are are living with that sort of paradigm that they haven't left. They haven't seen anything else. I mean, certainly there's the media and television. They could if they wanted to get that. But so many people don't seek it and therefore don't get it. 
and it pervades everything in, the, in that and this sort of ideology sort of pervades everything as a mother with children in the school systems it's very pervasive in the school systems and um, in the communities just in general so you feel like an outsider if you have progressive ideas in this area you always feel like an outsider so speaking out is exciting you know it's definitely interesting it's not boring but for somebody maybe who doesn't feel as comfortable speaking out like for me I've spent a lifetime hiding my ideas for the sake of just getting through living here we're not having discourse we're not having connection like we can agree to disagree like you know that's fine but I think we're just not having that discourse because we're not taught in our southern culture to do that and also like women aren't talked to aren't taught to have very in-depth discussions about any single subject. I think it's this lack of like super intellectual conversation because I worked with people that were like from all over the world and we could literally talk about Beyonce and Jay-Z and infidelity and then next thing be like affirmative action. Like we could never do that here because I don't think we're taught to do that. But I think also like um, on looking looking at what just happened at, on December 12th with the with the win and with Doug Jones I think one of the one other wonderful things that have come out of this not just cre creating a political momentum is that so many people really also found each other like I found that wearing a little Doug Jones button and I wore it religiously wherever I went and I didn't care if it, if it was my daughter's recital or a school concert or at the, the, at the pool or any, everywhere I met, and I met so many people that came up and just discreetly said to me, I like your button. And that was just a powerful moment where all of a sudden they reached out to me and said, I, you know, I agree with you. I share your, your view. And that was so empowering and so uplifting. And now to this day, I know who I can speak my mind with. In some, in some ways, that sort of created an opener with people all of a sudden like having having something that we could rally behind of course most people never said anything and never commented but there were people every day I wore my little button that came up and said that to me you know I had lived away from here for many years at least 10 years and so coming back here for the first time in about 10 years with children um, I felt very discouraged and hopeless and feeling like I would never find community and then after that has happened I feel like community is not only possible but is growing well the women's marches after the election you know those were the largest marches in history women all over the world coming together and protesting so know. you know there's a huge change happening and we are coming out of the closet and we are finding support you know and it's as much as the um doug jones roy moore um issue was about politics it was really about women's rights Really, yeah. that's what we're protesting. It's about women's rights. So I do want to get back to a discussion about the handmaid's resistance. And of course, because it, this is a, an extension of our discussion about the handmaid's tale and why this particular uh, storyline, this particular um, image, the handmaid, was so effective, why it's being used. And I guess maybe not why is it so effective, but it maybe the first the first question would be, is it effective, this particular image and this particular story, Margaret Atwood's story for this Me Too movement? And is it effective? And what is it about it that is effective? 
Well, I think that it just sort of portrays a a woman in a, in a we talked about this just a little bit earlier too, like the the, the red uh, cape, the white bonnet, sort of a, a a woman from another era where women did not speak up and were and were silent. So I think that sort of really just epitomizes a patriarchal view on on women. So I think that's that's why it was powerful. And as we discussed earlier, some just sort of laughed it off and called us little red riding hoods and what 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 were we thinking? And nobody got that here. Still, with the combination of us holding very powerful signs with very, very direct messages of what we thought of our Morse candidacy and being dressed like that, I really think it combined uh, you know, this sort of ironic or cynical take on 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 people's view on women and then how we felt in the sign. So I think it was sort of a, a perfect combination of, of showing the world how, you know, people of Roy Morse ilk would like to see women and then, but that's not who we are and we speak up and that's how you, that's what you can see from us holding signs. So I think the, the combination of the two, I think worked really well, if that makes any sense. I think, I mean, because The Handsmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood has been out since, like, 1980-something, right? It's been out for a long time. Yeah, so why is it now that it's having its moment? Netflix. It's, yeah. it's um, Hulu, I think. Oh, no, you're right. It's not Netflix. I'm sorry, Netflix. It's Hulu. It's Hulu. It's, I think it goes back to, yes, it is reminiscent of Little Red Riding Hood, where it's, like, this girl, but it's also basically the dehumanization of women, right, and making them into... And which is how sometimes men treat us, commodity or just like a thing, an object and not an actual equal partner, or equal person. Um, whether it is effective as like the symbol of the Me Too movement, I think it's just one of the many uh, symbol that's reflecting of a women's movement. Like she was saying, it is really all these things that are happening just is very serendipitously all on because of the women's movement I think it's not just oh and I'm not saying without the women movement there wouldn't be a me too movement or any of this I think all of it just seemed to be all happening at the same time because I mean if you had written a fiction story and was like by the way you're gonna have a guy who's a candidate she's gonna be a candidate for senator for the conservative party that basically used to prey on teenage girl as a 30 year old and then you're gonna have versus a man that basically prosecuted Ku Klux Klan after Charlottesville in this time. No one could have said that. Like there's no no one would have ever written that story. Right? So I think it's just a combination of different things happening at different times. And maybe, you know, it started with the Trump being elected, which is like one. And then it just is gonna keep going. And then I don't know what's the results of everything. But I'm saying like these events are happening for a reason. So in a sense, I mean, I think the Me Too movement and the handmaids are very much alike, are very much alike. The handmaids were objectified. They were, they were objects for procreation only, and they were silenced, right? I mean, so how, how is the Me Too movement and the handmaid's tale not exactly the same thing? How, how is that? It is a beautiful symbol you don't for think the Me Too movement, is it not? I mean, I mean, the movement's a beautiful symbol, but you don't think the differing goals make it a little different? Because, I mean, I know with the Me Too movement and workplace harassment, that's about sexual fulfillment, and The Handmaid's Tale was about preserving the population. 
I feel like there's, what about, like there's a different, a what different about justification. The, what about the commander? What about the prostitutes? What about I, Mora, okay. right? I mean, no, you, yeah. I, I mean, you have a point, but how are we, how does that fit into the context? Because that wasn't part of the accepted, that wasn't, that was, you know, the seedy underbelly of the Gilead society. That wasn't part of the accepted culture. Really? Well, I kind of think that it really is an interesting paradox because on the one hand, the Handmaid's Tale is aligned with the Me Too movement because the Me Too movement isn't just about sexual harassment or rape in the workplace. I mean, that's where it's manifesting. That's where people are feeling confident in speaking out because that's where it's, it's kind of like starting to get stirred up. But it, it's pervasive. Misogyny is pervasive. And it ha- takes on so many different forms, and it's subversive. And The Handmaid's Tale is really about that subversion in so many different ways. How misogyny could, if left unchecked, could lead into all these different realms. And how men can take on all these different power roles and strip women, and they have Again, it was something that Maya and I talked about. Uh, Margaret Atwood didn't write anything that hasn't already happened. So all of the things that we are saying are a dystopian society, something that could happen if we stay on this trajectory, are in fact things that have already happened. And so, you know, we've made great strides in the women's movement, but we still have all of the repercussions still that we're still fighting in different ways. And this Me Too movement is a little late in my opinion. I mean, my God, why has it taken us so long to speak out about all this? It's been happening for so long. I mean, Han's talking about her sexual harassment in her job. I mean, I was in the military. I I experienced it all the time. They are very much aligned because they're both about the underlying misogyny. That isn't just sexual harassment in the workforce. It's problems in our relationships with with men. It's problems in our culture with media and the way the media represents women and the way that the media commodifies and objectifies women for commercial gain. All of these things are a part of that. And I feel like The Handmaid's Tale speaks to that as well. Right? I mean, really, it's about women coming out, feeling comfortable finally for the first time ever for many of these women to speak up about abuses in power right and so it is a bit confusing it's a bit gray yes some of them are blatant abuse but others are unclear and really it's about inequality and women have started talking about sexual abuse but it's so much larger than that it really is you know, it comes in subtle ways. So it's still very gray. It's still very gray, the, the Me Too movement. And I'm not sure we're all, we're all clear about what it exactly is, you know? But at least it's a start. I feel like it's a baby step. Yeah. So that concludes our show today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like us, please subscribe to our podcast and give us some positive feedback. Follow us on Facebook at FemSouth. And for more information, check out our website, femsouth.com, where you can find the podcasts and our book reviews. Hope to see you there, and keep listening. You're on Fem South. <laughs>